What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the social gathering. My name is Liam. This is Zach. I'm joined by Natalie. How are you doing today, Natalie? I'm doing really well, thank you, and I hope you guys are too. And I think you have someone else with you, Natalie. I do. I'm sitting at the moment with Cleo, who is a Labradoodle. She's five, and she is my assistant stock. Wow, awesome. I'm so happy that you two are joining us. So, I have a question for you guys. Fire away. What have you guys been up to in the last one to two months to build your to build your guys' selves into a better person? Oh, tough because we've been inside. I think um, Cleo has had to adjust more than me because obviously for me it's a bummer being stuck inside, but I know it's for the greater good. But for Cleo, I, yeah, I can't explain that to her. <laughs> yeah. So, um, she's, yeah, she's a bit mopey because she loves being out and about. That's like part of her work and she loves it. Like she loves going shopping and stuff. So she's, she's missing it. But I've taught her a couple of new things to try and cheer her up a little. I've been uh, trying to read more um, because I feel like a lot of the reading I've been doing has been on a screen and... I know that's not the best for your eyes to be reading on a screen. So I've been trying to, you know, do the good old fashioned paper back reading. <laughs> oh, I salute you. Very admirable. How was you, Liam? Wow. Um, good question, Zach. I have been... It's your question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of trip planning because... This has been a great time for me to sit down and think about all the places that I want to go, which is something that I didn't have time to do before. And so, you know, whenever stuff opens back up, I have a more concrete idea of exactly what I'll be doing, who I'll be talking to, where I'll be going, and all that jazz. So perhaps not to better myself, really, but it's definitely given me something to, to do. And it's been a lot of fun doing it, that's for sure. I think it's like setting yourself up to better yourself. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and plus I feel like in this type of situation, like just like surviving one day to the next without like going to pieces, <laughs> that's like achievement when you've been stuck inside this long. But yeah, I feel like you shouldn't pressurize yourself to be too great during lockdown. Yeah, of course. Well, uh, let's jump right into the next thing, Natalie. Um, who are you? I am very glad you asked. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's see. Um, well, I am a novelist. My first novel, Opium Thriller for Teenagers, called Inside Out, came out at the end of last year. Um, as you may have guessed, from my mentioning of my assistant's dog, Cleo, I also am disabled and I'm an advocate for um, disability rights. Um, I have cerebral palsy and I use a wheelchair to get around and Cleo and I are ambas ambassadors for the 
Sheffield charity that trained her, which is Support Dogs UK. So yeah, that's what we do with our lives. And so what exactly does that charity do? Um, so they're an absolutely amazing charity and they're based in Sheffield in the UK, which is where I'm from. I'm not from Sheffield, but I am from England. And they train dogs um, to assist, make sure I get my facts right, to assist children with autism um, and adults with physical disabilities and they also train seizure alert dogs to help people with epilepsy predict when they're going to have fits um, oh wow they yeah i know it's so cool like I the work they, they do, do that. Just, no it's mind-blowing it really is like it's so cool and support dogs um are special even among assistance dog charities because they, I think I'm correct in saying, are the only um, accredited assistance dog charity in England that trains pet dogs as well as their own puppies that they've kind of brought up for the process. So um, Cleo was two when she came to live with me and started her trainings. Mm-hmm. Hadn't been prepared for it or it from puppyhood and the amazing people at support dogs helped her through and helped her learn so yeah be up to you guys i love you very very much (laughs) so for those who don't know what are the biggest differences between a support dog and just your regular old dog well i think the first important thing to say is that um most of these differences only apply their uniforms on. So like Cleo has the blue jacket that she wears to go to work. That's when she right, but um the rest of the time at home the regular um furry goofball. <laughs> she gets to be a be a dog and just play around and but to her her work is Again, to her also. Um, the main difference, I suppose, is that the um, sport dogs, or I think, call uh, them service dogs, assistant. They are specific tasks based around push, pull, and working part. so you said that your book is called inside out right have you had any issues with copyright because i know that there's a movie that came out recently called inside out oh yeah there is yeah i would like to state for the record that i started writing my book before that film came out (laughs) i did not christen my book after that film um although it is a brilliant film um they're very I came up with the title first. Um, uh, I'm quite lucky because in England, at least, there's no copyright on titles. Okay. Um, there's copyright on the actual um, content of a book, but um, I think because there are so many songs and so many books that have 
same totals like don't think we have any kind of copyright laws over here about just the titles of books so that was a relief when the trailer for inside out the film was released i'd already finished the manuscript and titled it and everything I did have a slight panic was oh no i'm gonna have to think of a new title and it took me six months to come but yeah was my idea <laughs> and i guess because it's such like a common saying like inside out it's hard to copyright that i'm sure yeah it's like one of those things like another one that i see a lot because i read a lot of thrillers is things like uh, blood toys that's okay. a common expression over here so you get a lot of thrillers song title what i see all the time change like i've mm -hmm. got like four different songs <laughs> Uh, so, and none of them are similar lyrically, but they all have the same name. So, yeah. Thank you, gods of copyright, for not enforcing your will on titles, because I'd be in a pickle if you did. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what your book's about? Sure. Um, so, it's set in a world that's divided into two uh, distinct factions. You've got the insiders, who are the kind of they see themselves as the upper class that um really all well off affected other side you have the outsiders who are the underlings they're the poverty stricken people or at least they are on the surface they decide that they're gonna form a resistance movement so they found this group called the Freedom Fighters. They commit all sorts of terrible atrocities people. The government at the start of my story decide that they're going to parachute a spy into the Freedom Fighters movement to try and uh, bring it down from the inside. From the inside out. Haha. -ha. <laughs> um and they decide it'd be a really good idea to stop the organisers of this group from seeing them coming if they use a as their spy rather than an adult. That plan goes about as well as you would expect <laughs> about what happens after that <laughs> and <laughs> when everything kicks off. So, yeah. So where did that come from, like that, that whole story that you've created? Have you always just been into spies and that that idea of sneaking around as a teenager? <laughs> Great question. I'm not really... I've never sort of been a big fan of um, spy fiction as such. I think the, the big thing that attracted me to this story is more... I'm obsessed with um, prejudices and, like, uh, judgments that people will make about each other and about other people based on like completely random factors that are totally beyond their control um and the damage that those kind of things can do so like um mm -hmm. racism say or sexism or ableism or anything like that like could fit any number of words in there and it just mm -hmm. wrecks people's lives and relationships and it really bugs me and it always has done really little because it just 
seems so like monumentally stupid to me to do that but um i think that was kind of what interested me the most so i really wanted to have two very segregated groups um at kind of the heart of the plot and then i was like how do i bring this together and i do it in lots of ways but um having a spy sent over seemed to me a, a good way kind of look into that hopefully tear it apart like i don't think anyone who reads the book will come away thinking oh yeah uh blind society up and judging people like that is a really good idea and it really ends well like i think if you come away from the book thinking that then i've definitely failed so yeah i think the spying was kind of secondary to the division in a way i think that's the kind of the key hmm. so would you say that you're you're kind of capturing the experience that you've had with like ableism and portraying it as ageism as like a way of expressing it um i think so i mean when i was writing it i i started when i was 12 and i i finished the first draft when i was 14 wow yeah, I uh, yeah, I was a precocious child. <laughs> <laughs> um, people would ask me, like, or even they wouldn't even ask me. They'd say stuff like, "Oh, it must be about being disabled." Like, and I, for ages, was like, "No, no, 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 no. They're totally like separate things." Like, I was really stubborn about it. I was like, "It doesn't inform it at all." But then, as I kind of got older of started to see actually that that kind of thing ableism or even just i think more generally um just prejudice prejudicial judgment and policies just kind of runs it's kind of like it's lifeblood i think it kind of runs through the whole thing and like the way i've chosen to portray it in this world is a kind of uh, almost a racism um and a classism so it's not ableism as such because i think when it comes down to it all those kinds of isms are the same in that they're stupid and destructive um whether it be ableism or you know ageism or sexism or you know any of those myriad of um things so i would say yes but i didn't realize it so much so i think the underlying tone here is that society as a whole is very prejudiced and judgmental and do you think that there's a way that we can get around that as a people um oh another excellent question um i hope so uh i really i hope deeply um i think you know i think all the time you see strides being made towards a kind of a more unified society like there's been a huge resurgence in feminism recently which is great me too and time's up movements etc and also there's you know been great strides made in terms of equality for lgbtq plus communities and um all those kinds of things and that's you know really great 
But at the same time, I think we've got a longer way to go than perhaps we would like to think. Like, especially at the moment, I think certain people who are in power, both in my country and in yours, mentioning no um, <laughs> thrive on a rhetoric that says there's a them and there's an us, and if you're not with us, you're against us, and like you. Misery and suffering. Yeah, so I, th- I would really hope so, and I think we have made strides in that direction, but I think we've got so much. This podcast is an open book, so if you want to name names, even if it comes to politics, that's totally okay. We're very open-minded. Uh, I appreciate that, but um, I'm a new writer, and I really don't want to get my ass. <laughs> because i'm you know i'm a poor starving artist so you know i mean it may slip out i'm not gonna lie it may uh but um i think uh certainly most people will at least be able to infer of whom i speak Hmm. we shall see so going back to like the actual story itself did you did you mention where it takes place uh, so it takes place in a kind of alternative um, society. So I have um, this kind of big uh, map in my head, and I also have a, a physical version of it at home. Where So I basically wanted to create... I didn't sort of want to place it anywhere kind of in reality as such because I didn't want uh, I didn't want anyone to sort of think oh it's not set where I live therefore I'm off the hook right um, kind of thing because I think it applies all across the world um, basically and in many different ways and also I wanted my own kind of set of rules and customs um, and I think if I if I tried to appropriate that appropriate sorry that in a in a place that I knew or even in a place that I didn't I think I would kind of be a bit too constrained by what the codes and conventions of that particular time and place were. Um, so I kind of made my own time and place, but I'd I'd say there's definitely a lot in there that a reader will be able to recognise. Hopefully that's true from wherever they are, rather than just one. Yeah, and it's really great, because that's the beauty of a story, right? You can create your own world, if, you know, if at all, right? And then you can figure out what the social norms are of that world, and then you can kind of build it off of that. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, um, there are certain certain things... That happen. I mean, I don't want to give anything away. There are certain sure. circumstances that unfold in the book that I don't think quite fit to how things would be in a inverted commas normal society. It's all a bit kind of off. But I wanted to show, you know, this is kind of warped. Like this whole like scenario is is weird but also i wanted there to be things in there that were relatable um like 
like uh, poverty, prejudice, violence, um, and even things like, you know, romance and politics. I wanted all those things to be recognisable to the readers, but not to become a constraint to the story, I suppose. So did you do, like, any previous research on, I guess, dystopian societies, for lack of a better word? And do you, like, do you have, like, a general interest in, like, that kind of hypothetical formation of the world? Yeah, I mean, I've always loved, probably since I was about 10 or 11, I've always loved um, dystopian fictions and um, fantasy and things like that. Things that they hold a mirror up to the world, but it's cracked. So it's, it's like, slightly different. And um, what always fascinated me as a child, I would... And as a teenager, especially, I would read um, books like 1984 by George Orwell, or mm-hmm. there's this amazing series by this British author called Mallory Blackman called North Crosses, which I just loved so much. And, like, you would read these things that these people would go through, like, whether it be surveillance culture or in Noughts and Crosses, inverted kind of... Um, racism and you read it and go oh my god that's horrible but then you'd like look up and think oh actually that could happen here like it's not so much a fantasy after all which and I kind of like the this is going to sound strange but I kind of like the pessimism of it (laughs) because I was especially when I was a, a teenager I was quite a pessimist um and I had a lot of trust issues and things like that so and I think there's a lot of uh, good cause for trust issues in dystopian societies. So, yeah, I think I kind of felt at home there. I think that's fair. If, um, well, we were talking a little bit before the podcast and kind of what you described to me was that there were a lot of issues with uh, other kids and, and teachers at some of the schools that you went to. So I think it's totally justified that you were kind of a pessimist as you came into your teenage years. Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, I'm working on my kind of innate pessimism. Like, it's something that I try to just sort of deal with. Um, but I do, like you say, I, I don't think I'd have to look back very far to think, hmm, I wonder where all this pessimism came from. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I don't think that would take me very long at all. Um, I think, in a way, I'd kind of be spoiled for choice. Hmm. So, yeah, I think there's something about the dystopia that, that kind of speaks to me, I think. The people inside the book, inside the world, that's their normal. That's okay. And I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of what it feels like if you have something about you that makes you different from everyone else. Like, they, uh, a society or a group of people, might well sort of look at you and go, oh, that person's not normal, therefore it's normal for me to make their life miserable or, like, ignore them or whatever. So I think things always kind of felt slightly off to me, so I I guess that's why I like dystopia. (laughs) That's kind of, something is very wrong here, magnified about a hundred times. So I guess... While we're kind of on the topic, would you be comfortable going into some of the things that 
um, you went through in your, you know, early childhood years to teens? Yes, I mean, again, I, I, I'm i going to try not to name names because obviously I don't know who is going to listen to this. Um, I know the feeling. I will try and be honest. For sure. Okay, so um, in England, we have a school system that's uh, slightly different to yours. So we have what we call infant school, which is from about five to six and then we have junior school which is from seven to eleven and then we have secondary school which is from eleven to sixteen and then we've got what we call college which is from sixteen to eighteen and I think the problems for me really started um when I went to junior school so when I was about seven to eleven I mean I'd always kind of felt like I in my family I don't really get treated any different than anyone else like I've got two sisters and I've got my great parents and you know all my cousins and my extended family and and I was never kind of made to feel you are different because of this disability you've got but by the time I got to junior school, um, this pattern started to develop where uh, people, uh, kids mainly and then adults, would kind of stare at me and point and they'd whisper things and I started to think, oh, right, I, I don't fit here, you know. Um, and people I realized kind of didn't necessarily uh, want to be friends with me as much and um, that kind of escalated from just like pointing and whispering to like uh, people would come up to me like girls from my class and whatever and like say things to my face like that I was like that there was stuff wrong with me or that I was a freak that was a a favorite <laughs> and um also I got a lot of trouble from a lot of grown-ups which when you're eight and essentially a polite child like you get told oh you know like always respect your teachers and look up to grown-ups so when grown-ups are, are saying things about you like um there used to be in the front um, foyer of my school there was a poster on the wall and it had like the school ethos on it and um, without telling me the head teacher had decided to put a picture of me on the wall and next to it they'd written um, it is policy in our school to help the needy and those less fortunate than us. And that was kind of the starkest thing that I had. That I was like, oh, I'm not a th- I'm not an us, I'm a them. Like, you know, I, d- I don't sort of uh, belong wow. sort of in my own right. I actually belong to a them, to a like, to another kind of group. 
I think it was about nine then. Um, and that was kind of, yeah, it was intense. And I mean, mostly it was like emotional, um, like girls would pick on me and stuff. Um, but also occasionally, like, I'd be in what we call a K-walker, which is like a metal frame that um, helps you to, to walk. Um, kind of like a Zimmer frame, but for kids. And once I remember a girl in my class saw me in that and pushed me over. Wow. And I cut myself quite badly. <laughs> so, yeah, it kind of ranged from, I mean, that's the only real physical um, instance I can remember. But, yeah, it was, it was not a fun four years on the whole. I mean, not everybody was like that, like, but the people that were nice to me were the exceptions. Wow. Not the other way around. Like, I expected people to be horrible to me. And if they weren't, that was a surprise for me kind of thing. Um, yeah, that was the environment that I lived in for a while. Yeah. I think I could speak for both me and Liam, where we haven't really experienced anything like that. So I can't imagine what that would have been like. I appreciate you saying that, because a lot of the time I tell people that and they say stuff like oh i understand like we've all felt like outsiders before and it's like uh not really <laughs> yeah there's that and then there's there's like different levels you know <laughs> different kind uh -huh. of levels so i appreciate you saying that no problem i guess for me personally it was it was never anything physical almost never especially in elementary school all the kids were very kind of reserved when it came to that kind of thing but um I would I wouldn't even go out of my way to like say that I was harassed verbally, but um, I think the biggest thing for me in elementary was that I just wasn't included in a lot of things, and I think I I can imagine that that on top of being made fun of as the normal could be pretty pretty hard. Cause, I mean, for me alone, just not being including included in anything made me feel like trash. Yeah, sure. I mean, that totally sucks. Like. It's rubbish and it is painful and like I'm really really sorry that you had to experience that because it's it's horrible and it's not something that leaves you I don't think so I'm really sorry that you had to go through something like that. That's fine. I mean, <laughs> it's not like I look back on it and and I'm you know naming names and saying you know that no. Josh guy I I'm gonna kill him you know it's like no it's <laughs> it's it's like he was a kid. You know, we're all kids. Yeah, yeah. I I admire that even-handedness. I'm not sure I entirely share it. Sure. Like, some sometimes I do think, you know, like it'd be really nice if just, you know, not anything really bad, but sometimes I do have to curve the impulse to be like, oh, it'd be really nice if, like, not even that bad stuff happened to them, but, like, that I got an apology because mm -hmm. I never got an apology. That's the thing. I never got an apology from anyone that sort of did bad things to me. So I think that kind of uh, plays on my mind a bit, but I guess that's something I'm kind of working on as best I can. Cause like, for sure it doesn't do to like, keep on looking back at things, but, and right. sometimes for sure they 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 creep out but mm -hmm. i kind of exercise them in my books 
you know, I've got just a little bit of bloody violence and it just <laughs> helps me to feel a little bit better. <laughs> Would you say that some of the stuff that you've gone through in the past has made your shell a little bit harder? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think I, I fundamentally try and stay like a kind person. Like I'm not perfect as nobody is but I really do my best to kind of do the right thing and, and like be kind to people and I don't have a thick skin in the sense that if I feel like I've upset someone that will really upset me like for quite a long time uh but I definitely I kind of touched on it earlier I have kind of issues with trusting people like um so I went through that school and then when I went to secondary school, what you might call high school, I went to school in a different area. So I had like a, a fresh start kind of thing. But every time a new teacher would walk into a room, my first thought would be, is this person a threat to me or not? And that mm. took me quite a long time to sort of, um get over that and I think sometimes when I meet new people I try and uh have an open mind but very occasionally I do catch myself being like uh, if I had to escape from this person how would I do it um so yeah I think that's kind of a bit hardwired into my brain so yes in a sense and also no in a sense no I'm gonna say this carefully <laughs> the whole assessment of threat is i think it's wired into all of our brains however what you described is like the definition of stress is like that triggering of flight or fight and i'm sure that can be really hard if it's sustained over a long period of time what was that like yeah it was it was rough it it really sucked and i mean um for a long time i didn't sort of realize that that was what i was doing for sure so, so like, um, when I was, like, 11, 12, I was doing it every time I met someone, but it wasn't, like, a conscious kind of thing. Um, and then when I was about 13, I got really, really depressed. And um, I called one of my friends, like, really lowered, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know why. And um, then I went to the school counsellor, his name was Matt Thompson, he was really, really good at his job, um, and I remember when I kind of came in, he said, right, well, what's what you hear, and I said, I don't know, and he said, well, right, tell me about things that have happened to you before, um, so I told him these stories of the things that had happened to me at, at junior I said, oh, but that's normal, though. That happens to everybody. He was like, no, it doesn't happen to everybody. <laughs> like, that's not that's not okay. And, like, a lot of it is stuff that I'm not going to sort of explicitly mention. But I, I would be like, yeah, that happens a lot. Like, a lot of adults call kids names. Like, that's a normal thing for a teacher to do to one of their pupils. Like that's fine 
Mm. It's like a lot of kids, a lot of kids will um, do literally anything to get out of going to school every morning because they really don't want to go in and they're framed. And a lot of kids are sick as soon as they walk into the school door. Like, that's like normal. Like, I was like, there's that, but that's fine. That happens to everyone. <laughs> it kind of slowly kind of dawned on me oh wait maybe it's not normal and that was when I kind of my fight or flight thing kind of receded a bit um because I was kind of aware then why I was doing it so I could kind of um like rein it in a little bit um but I suppose another key thing with my fight or flight uh instincts is flight is very difficult for me Right. Like, I can't physically run away. <laughs> so I'm like, if this person comes at me, what do I do? And that's, like, a, another layer of, like, stress, I think. Yeah, like, kind of feeling trapped in a way. Yeah, so my fight instinct is pretty well home. <laughs> and I think that's, that's why I have so many... Um, like I said, I have a group in my book called The Freedom Fighters. And... Uh, None of them are particularly stable, but they can all handle themselves in a crisis. And I don't think that took a lot of kind of imagination to think what would. Except they've got guns and I never had one of those. (laughs) (laughs) So what I gather is that. Your writing kind of came from your self-conscious. And. As you were writing it, it just kind of came out. And then upon looking back on it, you say, oh, wow, these are a lot of the things I've gone through. Yeah, I mean, definitely that was a a big thing. And it didn't sort of all flow out easily in the physical sense. Like I went through plenty of days. I was like, I can't do it. I'm stuck (laughs) and I'm blocked and I hate myself and I hate this keyboard and I hate this pen and I hate this notebook and I hate this story and I hate everything in the world. It's a great move. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we definitely had um, days like that. But yeah. by the time I finished and like I'd been through it like loads of times and I was like getting ready for my editor and stuff. Um, and I like gave it to my mom and she like read it and she's like, oh, that's just like what happened to you. I'm like, is it? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, right. I get it now. Yeah. So I think it was a kind of a, like you say, it was a retrospective thing. But, um, you know. I think I've come to kind of realize that for a lot of writers, that happens. Like, we're like, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. this is totally, like, separate from me, but it never quite is. Um, Like, not everything that happens in the book, it's not, like, an autobiography or something like that. But a lot of the feelings in the book, Mm -hmm. I definitely recognize. Um, And a lot of the, the main characters, especially, I have a pretty vast number of main characters and i think all of them have definitely got a little piece of me in them and that's probably why they argue with each other so much (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah so it's pretty cool yeah it's it's a pretty good um way for me to work out how i feel about things you know guys i tried writing a book back in the day um (gasps) 
Really? Yeah. So back in 2019, back in the day, it hasn't been that long. <gasps> the before um, times, before yeah, isolation, yeah, right. like prehistoric. <laughs> yeah. I I had gone on a date with a girl a couple weeks prior who was super into writing, and she she basically said, "You know what? I've started writing a book." And I said, "Wait, you're too. You're like like you of all people can't write a book." And she's <gasps> like, "Oh, but I did." And then I like went through the book and I was like, wow, this is totally different than the person that I, I saw and went on a date with. Like, this is, this is crazy. It was insane. It was a weird concept to me. And so yeah. that inspired me to go and write my own. And so what I did is I made a daily plan that I would write a half page of the book every single day. And it worked for a while. A while being five oh. days. So I made it five <laughs> days until writing the book. I had two and a half pages. But the interesting thing is that about, I think like, once I got to the second page in, I read it all over and I was like, wait a minute. This is me, but just a different person. This yeah. is exactly who I am and exactly what I'm struggling with right now. And all the good things in my life as well. So that was a pretty crazy realization for myself. Yeah, I mean, for sure, like, um, well, first off, I applaud you for sticking to the plan for five days, because <laughs> I, I know how hard it is to stick to the plan. Hey, you could have only stuck with it for four days. <laughs> so you made it that fifth day. Yeah, you could have only stuck with it for, like, two minutes. Like, I know, I know people who, like, I do, like, support um, forums and things and people write to me and I'm like I really want to be like a writer and I'm like great um what stuff have you written and I'm like oh no I never actually sit down and write <laughs> I, like I write like one sentence and then I just stop they like the idea of being a writer <laughs> yeah and I mean it's a great idea for sure and it's like you know oh it'd just be so great and magic and some of the time it is but 99% of the time you're like oh, I hate this job so much yeah, um, but sure. like but that's like that's like normal so I applaud you for sticking to the plan for five days I think that's you know that's pretty good going especially for a first ever attempt yeah that's for sure and I'm hoping on going back to it as well and rewriting it oh you should you should yeah even just this conversation has inspired me to go back to it that being said i really hope that inspiration doesn't just uh fade away like it sometimes does yeah well i hate to tell you this but it probably will at some yeah. point but then you've just got to like plow on anyway and just like hope that it will work out in the end and usually for me it does so. hmm. right and a common saying is like anything that's worth doing is going to be hard yeah, sure. I mean, if it was easy all the time... Everyone would do it. <laughs> right? Everyone would do it. And, like... That's for sure. Because in a lot of ways, it's the coolest job ever. You get to run the universe mm -hmm. within, like, the pages of your books. You get to, like, try things out and mess around and play. And, like, it's like a, an, a socially acceptable version of playing Let's Pretend for grown-ups. Hmm. Right. So, in lots of ways, it's really great fun. But, like, all things, like, say, it also has its uh, moments. 
Um, sure. And I think those, I, I don't think you could appreciate the good moments without the right. slightly less great moments. So. And we talk a lot on this podcast about, you know, people kind of reacting out of their lack of power in their everyday life. And I think writing like your own story like this is a really healthy way of kind of regaining some power in your life. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing I always loved about writing in books. Uh, so I started telling stories before I could actually write. Um, so I was like two years old. And I remember actually my first memory that I have of storytelling is it was Christmas and I was round at my grand and granddad's. And I saw this robin in their garden. Um, and I named him Robbie original (laughs) and um i decided that he had like all these like amazing like adventures like him and his mates and like he was friends with a snowman and he had other friends that were donkeys and you know he just had this amazing social life and i would sit down in front of my mum or my big sisters or my older cousins and i would get them to i would like just ramble on and I'll get them to like write them all down for me and they'd be like stop slow down I can't write that fast <laughs> um so yeah I kind of guess I always used it as kind of a a power thing like I can make things that were not there before that being said the cast of characters especially in the the inside out books they've been my imaginary friends since I was about six and we've kind of like grown up with each other in a way. And um most like nine times out of ten they don't do as they're told. Hmm. I'll just be like sitting down to write and then one of them will do something that I have no clue where it came from or how it's meant to resolve itself. I'm like, hmm. right, so we've got to figure this out now. Great. Thanks, guys. Uh, so yeah, I do have power, but also I get surprised sometimes. Which <laughs> is fun. <laughs> That's really interesting that you bring up imaginary friends because me and Liam were actually talking about that really recently. Um, yeah. Liam, do you want to chime in? Because I don't entirely remember what you were talking about in regards to imaginary friends, but again, all right. <laughs> Sorry, this is the third time Zach has brought it up. I guess we just we haven't talked about it on the podcast. Um, oh, you've got to tell me now. You can't <laughs> leave me in suspense. Okay. Do you know what a tulpa is? No, but I love okay. the word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, it's an imaginary friend to the utmost extent as an adult. So basically, what that means is that you kind of develop a character in your mind and then you keep developing them enough to where. They can almost be their own person where you consciously don't have to think about them. It almost goes into your subconscious. And so what it is is that you you got to think about them a lot. You got to, like, quote, touch them. You got to know what they're going to say, um, all of that stuff. And then eventually you don't even think about it and they're just there. Yeah. Wow. So that, that sound very similar to what you just described so i was just curious as to yes. if that rings any truth to you <laughs> oh it it does which um also alarms me slightly 
<laughs> don't mean with you i just mean the idea of having this person living in your head quite a lot of writers they talk about um things like that and they talk about the like the characters in the book and the things they say and uh quite often i get like messages from people when i do like my writing groups they're like i keep hearing all these voices in my head am i nuts mm. so like, probably but so are the rest of us <laughs> like we're writers like that's what we do so it's fine. Who was it? This, uh, Alice in Wonderland, I think. Uh, you're mad, bonkers, off your head. But I'll tell you a secret. All the best people are. Yeah. Yeah, that does ring bells. Like, um, sometimes, like I say, I'll just be, like, writing. And then one of them will say something. And I have no idea where it's going at all. And I'll just be like, oh, no, now I've got to spend ages working out what the hell you've meant. <laughs> and then they go suspiciously quiet for about a month. Just huh. when I need to get answers out of them. So, yeah, it's uh, not to spoil it, but the final sentence of Inside Out, which is the first book in a series, uh, contains a plot twist. I had not planned for, I did not expect, and I didn't figure out until six months into the writing of the next book. Hmm. Uh, but hopefully that means that the audience won't be able to figure it out straight away either. So, fingers crossed. And I think it's okay if you're doing that as a writer, because in reality, you kind of have to know your characters to be able to write about them. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of people maybe that think that they're, you know, strange. Sometimes I do think maybe they're just writers and they haven't, like, discovered that as a fact yet. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, and I mean, I don't, it doesn't mean that, like, I don't believe in mental health issues because I absolutely do and, like, I've ha had my own. And, like, if you're really having problems, like, obviously you should... Uh, get some like talk to someone about that or like get some help or whatever but I do think certainly when I was a kid I would hold extremely long conversations with myself and then my mum would be like who are you talking to and I'd like tell her at length I'm like well over here we have blah 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 and over here we have blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> and like we're, we're, we're chatting about like I don't know horse riding or whatever and, like, that to my mum was just, I don't know if she was really alarmed, but she was just like, okay. Yeah, mom, give us some privacy. She just, like, went with it, and um, she's still very much like that. Like, sometimes if I'm really working on something and I can't work it out, I will kind of read it out loud and kind of almost act it out for myself in my study while I write. And occasionally, like, my mum will come in with just to, like, ask me if I've, need anything or whatever and she has walked in on me a few times doing voices <laughs> and trying to work things out but um <laughs> then i read that charles dickens used to do that too so mm. in good company definitely <laughs> it's all fine my mum has learned to appreciate my weirdness and um the, even the rest of my family don't comment on it as much now as they once did <laughs> it's got to be similar i don't this thought just came into my mind it's got to be similar for like voice actors even because you're you're talking mm. out loud to yourself in all these weird voices and if somebody were to just walk in on you they'd be like uh 
What are you doing, man? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, I love the idea of voice acting. It's something I've always wanted to do. Like, especially, like, I'd love to do, like, a kid's cartoon series. I'd love to do a voice in one of those. Because, like, I watch the, like, behind-the-mic things, and it just looks so nuts. <laughs> I'm just like, that must just be so much fun to just, like, just be able to, like, jump around and, like, put mm-hmm. on all these silly voices. And I just think it looks great. So I would love to do voice acting. So maybe it's maybe it's just a compulsion that I have to talk in voices that aren't just mine. The only thing that I would dislike about voice acting is really not being in the mood and going in and having to do a bunch of voices for the studio. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I think something that many people probably don't know about voice acting, and I'm not like a expert on voice acting by any means, but um, it's not just like them sitting and like talking to a mic. They're like really into it because they, they have to get themselves into character. Um, but we don't get to see it because their voice is hidden behind a, an animated character or a, any kind of, you know, like animal that they CGI. Yeah, sure. Um, it's so cool, like, I watch quite a lot of, like, um, B-roll things of, like... <coughs> Excuse me. Bless you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Bless you. We're keeping that in. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I just love, like, watching how these people, like, do their work. It's amazing to me, like, Disney movies or any kind of... Um, animated video it just blow completely blows my mind and uh, I used to do a lot of amateur dramatics when I was young like I was in like drama clubs and things and even though it was never voice acting as such obviously I found moving around quite difficult so I kind of relate to having to like gesticulate and like use your voice mm-hmm. to communicate what you mean i think i just think voice actors are geniuses because it must be so hard and like it's all hidden away like you say Mm -hmm. you don't even get to see like even like the tip of an iceberg of like amazingness yeah that's really what it is Voice acting has got to be it's got to be one of those things just like writing where everybody knows it's pretty cool and wants to do it but will never actually sit down and do it yeah yeah it's one of those I mean, yeah, if there are any voice actors out there listening, I salute you and I think you're awesome. Oh, for sure. And I wish I did your job. <laughs> no, I actually, I do love my job, but I would I would love to do voice acting one day, so maybe. I think the the first step, well, I've kind of looked into voice acting for myself because I think I have the, the tone to do it, but... Oh, you definitely do. Thank you. Yeah, I, I can I, definitely I... imagine you doing that. Like, I've wanted to get into uh, just, like, narration and stuff, um, but I think the biggest thing is that I want to get accents down first, and I've gotten a lot better at doing a British accent, but then I'll stumble on a couple words, and I'll genuinely just sit there confused for a couple minutes and say, how, like, how do you do that in British English or, or Welsh? Or, like, <laughs> how? I mean, I think this might be the perfect opportunity to get <laughs> yeah, some pointers. Yeah, I was going to say... <laughs> I was going to say, if you have any words, like, you want to know how we say them, like, j- just feel free to ask away. Yeah, my see, what happens is my mind mixes up the Australian 
and British accent sometimes. Okay. And so it, it'll <laughs> kind of right? do a combination of both sometimes when I'm speaking, and it's like, wait a minute, this this doesn't sound right. <laughs> I have that problem with uh, Scottish and Welsh. Like, quite often I'll start with one, and then by the end it will have turned completely into the other. Um, I am not particularly great at accents, but I've had to learn a few for some parts. And, yeah, I definitely know that thing where you start in one and then somehow you're halfway across the world by the end of the sentence. <laughs> uh, and you're just like, what's happened? I don't understand. Um, yeah, so I feel you. But, yeah, if you want any uh, tips, especially with British accents, like that one I can do just about. <laughs> yeah, you have a very hard British accent, which is, is cool. Because I think... Um... There's some areas where it's a little bit softer, but I tend to gravitate more towards the the very hard accent. Yeah, I mean, in Britain, we have so many different accents. Like, so we've got the English, we've got Scottish, we've got Welsh, we've got Irish. But even, like, within those, there are mm-hmm. so many different accents. Like, yeah. there's a massive difference between the way I speak, which is, like, a southern English accent, whereas, like the place where Cleo was trained in Sheffield, that's, like, really to the north of England, and they all talk really differently there, and I think their accent's really cool. And I feel, like, a little bit inadequate because they sound epic when they talk, and I just think (laughs) I sound dull. But I think... Well, how do you think we feel? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we all... See, I think we all think we sound dull, but, like, to me, I'm like, oh, I love these guys' accents. You think we have interesting accents. I do, indeed. But, like, you think I have an interesting accent. Yeah, it's me, just, yeah, we're I just don't blind. Think I, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I have an accent at all. I yeah. think Zach has a pretty cool accent, honestly. You can tell I have an accent? A little bit, yeah. Huh. I Well, I would never use the word cool to describe my accent. <laughs> but I appreciate it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> You both have lovely voices and very <laughs> nice accents. Thank you. Um, I'm a I'm a soccer fan, so or football, I guess. Um, yeah. So I'm pretty familiar with the Liverpool accent, which I think is like so weird how different it is from like all the other British accents, or at least at least in the in Britain. Yeah, I love the Liverpool accent. Um, I've never kind of attempted it because I worry that I may accidentally offend people. <laughs> Um, but I I do I do love the Liverpool accent. Like I studied accents when I was at college, like um, regional accents. Liverpool is one of my favourite to kind of look into, like their vernacular. Okay. Impressions. You studied accents in college? I did. Well, what? How did you? How were you able to do that? Because if I were able to do that, I'd do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Uh. What we call college uh, over here is what you call your last couple of years of high school, I think, from 16 to 18. Okay, so, yeah, that's like our last two years. Yeah, and then what you call college, we call university, and I never went went to college. But uh, when I was at college, I studied... um, English literature, which is like all the books and mm-hmm. words and stuff, but I also studied English language. 
Okay. And part part of that, not how to speak English. Like I think I've got that down. <laughs> uh, but um, part of part of that course was um, studying different accents and different um, different words and sayings that people have in different parts of Britain. Um, so yeah, I did. I studied accents when I was at college, and Liverpool's one of my favourites. Liverpool. Steven Gerrard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do love a Liverpool accent. Like one of my my top accents. I also enjoy Birmingham. Okay, yeah. Like the Birmingham accent is just great. I'm also sort of into uh, to UK hip hop. So I I've heard like Skepta talk and yeah, uh, Stormzy, AJ Tracy. I don't know if you know who those are, but. <laughs> I know some of them. I'm not like a massive hip hop fan, but Stormzy, I've definitely like. Yeah, I he's pretty big. Yeah, I love a bit of Stormzy, and he was in the TV adaptation of the Mallory Blackman book *Notes and Cross that I mentioned earlier. Oh, I saw okay. him, and I was like watching it, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's Stormzy!" And my dad was like, "Who the hell is that? <laughs> like, do you live under a rock? Like, yeah." But uh, yeah, there are more. Uh london based i think so their accents aren't too different from each other but still interesting to hear yeah very different accents if you go to the east end of london than you do if you're in the west oh okay like over here we have a, a soap called eastenders which is set surprise surprise in the east end of london and they have the really kind of cool um accents there they kind of sound streetwise okay kind of like artful dodger out of um oliver by dickens and then sort of in the west end is supposed to be where it's like posh okay so like tottenham is more like the street kind of mm. okay gotcha although i don't recommend watching eastenders i am not a fan oh really Nah, I it's not the accents. It's just soaps in general I struggle with, but I think it's because <laughs> I spend like half my life trying to make sure that my plots make sense. Uh, and then I, I see. feel like <laughs> when you get to soaps, they're just like, yeah, whatever, chuck yeah. it in. Like, yeah. we say that these guys were siblings this week. Well, next week, <laughs> let's make them mother and child and just like. <laughs> and I think that'd be a really fun job, but I struggle to like just switch off and enjoy soaps. I'm just like, what? Last week that would, you know, last week they hated each other, and now they've got three kids. <laughs> you know, that's a bit of an uh, exaggeration, but I'm just like, you know, that's a really big pothole. Yeah. So it kind of has ruined ruined my enjoyment of them for just the silly things that mm -hmm. they are but you know i would love to work on a soap because then i could just throw like would this happen in real life completely out the window I'd just <laughs> go for it which would be great i've watched a couple uh british shows not not quite in like the, the eastenders vibe but i've seen like top boy uh there's this funny show called people just do nothing which is kind of like uh <gasps> have you seen that oh yeah i love people just do nothing Thing. uh it's really funny liam if you don't know it's like a uh it's like a satirical show on like the underground hip-hop scene in london super funny 
Yeah, a lot of very cool accents in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they showcase some of the best of the British accent. Yeah, and they even have like uh, British immigrants too, and they they have their accents and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, it's great. Like, yeah, accents they endlessly fascinate me. Like, I could bang on about them for ages. <laughs> like sometimes I like people over in America. Uh, some of them. They think that we all talk like we're out of Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like we all have like maids and stuff. Like I've got a couple of like American friends on like Twitter and things. And they're like, do you have like maids? Or like, do you live in a manor house? I'm like, no. <laughs> like I don't live in the 19th century, sorry. <laughs> but yeah. But sometimes I wish people did talk like we were from Downton Abbey. Because I just think that would be hilarious. <laughs> and great. Just for like one day, if everyone was like la di da, I just think that would be great. But I'd miss all the regional accents. That's the thing they don't have in Downton much, except they've got one Irish person. But everyone else sounds the same. So, have you seen Doctor Who? <gasps> oh yeah, I love Doctor Who. Yeah, you guys fans too? Zach is not. I'm not. No. <laughs> Who is your favorite, Liam? Who's your favorite Doctor? Yeah. Yeah. So. Not a lot of people will agree with me on this, but I was a really big fan of Capaldi. Oh, well, I applaud you. I think he he was great. He, I think, is my second favorite. Really? Because I think most people would say um, Smith and Tennant. See, I was a really big... Like, David Tennant was my... I was, like, seven when he started... Uh, so he was like my first. I was like, that's the doctor. So and I think, especially in Britain, the doctor that was the doctor when you were a kid and you started watching, that to you is usually your favourite. Because uh, that's the real hiding behind the sofa years. Sure. Um, so I think, yeah, Tennant is my favourite. But I'd say after that, probably Capaldi would come next. Thing I loved about him was that he was, you know, kind of he was a bit older, which they hadn't done for a while, which I loved. And he was grumpy on the outside, but he had this great philosophy about kindness and stuff on the inside, which I just thought was great. And also, Peter Capaldi is a massive Who fan, like he ran the fan club for quite a while when he was a kid. So I just mm. love the fact that he got to be the Doctor. Why do you? Why is he your favorite? Do you think? Right. I mean, I'll I'll say this. I think Tennant was the best, but the reason why my favorite was Capaldi is because I don't think it should have worked. Like going back to old to me wasn't like a great idea, but he was able to take that role and make it work so incredibly well, along with uh, what's her name, Coleman, and so yeah, it was just I really liked uh, their dynamic together. Me too. I'm glad someone else agrees with me on this because a lot of people, especially a very anti father, uh, Jenna Coleman, and I just think mm. she's great. Like, she's one of my favorite. Uh, yeah, she's probably my favorite. I just thought she was great. I'm glad I found people to agree with me on this. You have good taste. Well, I thought she was just kind of shaky with Matt Smith. Like, it wasn't bad. It just, I don't know, their personalities were a little bit different. I mean, like, Matt Smith, 
really talented and everything, but for some reason, I just, I think it was because it came after David Tennant. Yeah. It was, like, my favourite, so I was, like, in mourning for <laughs> Same here. quite a lot of time, but I never kind of warmed to him as much as I did, like, subsequent Doctors, because I think by the time Capaldi came along, I'd, like, you know, I'd mourned for 10 properly, so I could, like... It's like when comedians have to go on after someone just murdered the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's really, um, like you say, he's a lot of people's like favorite. Uh, I'm sure, like objectively, he was great. But like for most of the time, I just kept looking at him and thinking, "How dare you not be David Tennant?" Which I realize is harsh. <laughs> the audacity. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, "You are just not the same." Um, but then, like you say, I think Peter Capaldi, for me, kind of pulled it off. I was like, yeah, you can hang around for a bit, for sure. Right. I think the thing for me is, uh, well, like, the saddest thing for me was that, um, you know, quote, died, like, didn't really in the show after that point. And then it, Capaldi was still there, so I was still kind of into it. And then he left at some point, and I was like, well, that, those are my two favorite characters, so I don't really know what to do here. Oh, I know. I freak. I feel your pain because quite often I get like really attached to like not just the doctor but the companion and the aesthetic and the whole thing. And then I just get used to it. And then the doctor goes and regenerates. And it's like, oh, now I've got to start all over again. But I kind of love it at the same time. Right. Like the episode where uh, he walks in with, he walks into the, the restaurant in the middle of nowhere with the guitar. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I started shedding tears and I'd never do that ever. Oh. Yeah. Oh. And then oh, like man, even, I was not even the castle prepared. episode too. The castle episode was my favorite of all Doctor Who. Oh, good choice. Do I think what my favorite ever episode was? Oh, there was a tenant episode where him and uh Catherine Tate who's a pretty well-known uh, comedian over here so everyone was a bit surprised when she was casting Doctor Who because like she's huh. used mainly for being funny and she is really funny in Doctor Who but she also has this these emotional moments and they did this episode together called Planet of the Ood which I just think is great like that is my probably my favorite episode like they break into this compound where all these really peaceful aliens are being kept as slaves and they like basically smash them out sure. i think the i think the one that i think most people would say was their favorite was the one where it was kind of nearing the end of matt smith and tenant comes back for an episode oh yeah the day of that? the doctor yeah do I remember that? That was like my life made complete. I was like, he's back! Really my, my love has come back! My love has returned! <laughs> no. uh, yeah, the day of the Doctor. I think that was for the 50th anniversary. I think they did like a special... They do that quite a lot in Doctor Who. Like they get to anniversaries and they bring back like Doctors from the past. Yeah. That one not only did it have Smith and Tennant, but it also had um John Hurt in it, who late great John Hurt, who's like my favorite actor. And I found I've been really into the Christmas episodes as well, where it's like they don't really count, but they're still pretty cool. They are. 
There's a really big thing in England is the Doctor Who Christmas special. Are they? It's one of yeah, it's like one of those things. Basically, the whole nation will watch. Hmm. Like last year, there was a really big scandal because they moved it from Christmas Day to New Year's Day, and there was uproar. <laughs> like, like in Britain, that was like a proper big deal. It was like, oh man, like the world will never be the same again. We are strange in Britain. I guess the real question is, how do you feel? About the newest Doctor, because I know that was a super controversial one. I was just going to bring that up. Oh, I love it. I love the fact we've got a female Doctor at last. Like, it's about time, like, the Doctor is an alien, so he could, he, she, they, it, could manifest in any way at all. Um, That's, like, part of the law. And <laughs> up till then, they'd always been a bloke. So it was... To me, I think it was kind of cool that there was... And not only that she's a female doctor, but, like, I'd seen her in a lot of other things before. Jodie Whittaker, and I loved her. Like, I just thought she was great and, like, really talented. So, yeah, I was really excited. And um, now I think she's doing a really good job. I mean, I know it was controversial, but I was kind of like... You know, it's it's kind of bound to be, like... Sure. Mm-hmm. Every time there's a new doctor, people are like, "The show is dead to me." Or like, <laughs> every time there's a new head writer, they're like, "I'm never watching this show again." Like the number of times I'll be on YouTube and I'll see like, "How insert actor or insert writer here killed Doctor Who," and I'll be like, "This endless list." And I'll be like, "Nobody is happy. Cannot please everyone." Um, like I remember when Chris Chibnall took over, they were like, as head writer, they were like, Chris Chibnall is gonna save Doctor Who from Stephen Moffat, and oh, now man. they're like, Stephen Moffat, come back! Chris Chibnall's killed Doctor Who, and so on and so on. And I think, obviously, there are some missteps, like they are in all long-running things, but I think they all have got loads of great things going for them. And I love the fact that we got a, a time lady at last to. And I also love the fact that she's got three companions. Oh, really? Because, like, way back when it first started, he had three companions with him. Interesting. But then since then, it's only really been one or two. So, I, yeah, I really enjoy that there's, like, a gang back. Yeah. Like, what are your thoughts? Yeah, for sure. I guess with the whole um, squad thing that they that they implemented, I think they did that with starting with Capaldi, with the, the chubbier guy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, not at all. Yeah. See, my ner- my nerddom for Doctor Who is coming out now, because like I pretty much know everything, which I'm strangely proud of, even though it like epitomizes my geekness. But yeah, that's Nardole, Nardole, and Bill. Yeah, so with Nardole, I didn't expect it. It wasn't like bad. It was just like, oh, this is this is a change, and I guess the same with uh, Jodie Whittaker. Um, yeah. I, I think she's a really talented actress, and at first I was like, oh, this is, hmm, like, it's a very bold move on, on Doctor Who's part, but at the same time, I think that there's potential to do everything right, and so long as they continue doing things in a good manner, then I don't, I think they're fine. I think people are worrying a little bit too much. Yeah, I agree, and I mean, the show will still be Doctor Who, no matter what, so, like, Every time there's a new writer or a new regeneration, mm-hmm. everyone's like, oh my god, 
gonna suck or and it never sort of does like it usually works out okay in the end by a lot i mean some of the episodes you do watch and you're like oh my god like that one won't bear rewatching. but i think most of them are pretty cool and i think she's done a really really cool job i think in terms of preference i'd prefer a guy doctor but it's just it's such an experimental show anyways that it's it's really all up in the air for what they do each season yeah, I mean, what I'd really like in Doctor Who is if one of their, um, and I th- again, I don't think you need Freud to work out why this is, but I would love it if there was a disabled Doctor Who. I really would. Oh, that'd be cool. And, like, there's so many different ways you could go with that. Like, my life would be made a disabled Doctor Who. Especially if it was played by me. No, not really. <laughs> um, although, if there are any Doctor Who producers listening, I am available and I am a super fan. Uh, so, yeah, I would love for there to one day be a disabled Doctor Who. I think that would be great. I just love the fact that they're kind of diversifying a bit more. Like, I love the fact that there is now... I'd love to see, like, different cultures kind of represented more. Um, and again, like I said, for there to be a disabled doctor, one day I'd love for Doctor Who to just be a dog. <laughs> <laughs> That'd like, be getting that really would experimental. Be great, like, like, wouldn't that just be great? Like, they could get like an actor in to do like the voiceover, but I just, I'd love to see a dog driving the TARDIS. I think the next doctor could just be a furry. Yeah, potentially. I mean, you know, anything goes, clearly, which right. you know, is as it should be for a sci-fi. Like, in theory, it could just be anything. Yeah, could literally be anything. Like, when Matt Smith regenerated, he was like, legs, good, I've still got legs. I was like, yeah, he's still got legs. So that implies that he, she, it, they could not have legs at some point or, like, turn out like an octopus or something really cool like that just go like completely left field like that would be awesome i think the most fourth wall thing that they could do is have him regenerate into a dalek and he's like oh well <gasps> <laughs> yeah where, where do we go from here <laughs> it sounds like you need to write a letter liam <laughs> yeah that would be great because they tried that didn't they with um did they oswin there was a, a character uh, and she was only in there for one episode uh, but for most of the show you saw her as a human and then right at the end it like panned out and it showed that she was a Dalek oh weird and oh my god it was like <gasps> plot twist that would be really good yeah that's what they should do they should make Doctor Who a Dalek that would be great oh imagine the forums imagine the YouTube comments <laughs> World War 3 would break loose <laughs> Fabulous. I think it's a really interesting universe that they've set up that kind of lets them do anything with the show because of that reason. And this is just from a removed person's perspective. Yeah, I mean, like recently there was a really big, like, well, I say really big, it was storming a teacup really, but over here it was a really like. Um, there was an episode called The Timeless Child, and it, I can't even remember exactly what it was, but it did something 
to the law and the audience were like up in arms they were like this is like you've gone too far like, and i'm like it's a sci-fi space opera <laughs> about shape-shifting time-traveling alien who lives in a box <laughs> like and you, you guys are like losing it over like like tiny details but i kind of love that in a way like i love that people take it that seriously and like i do as well like so i understand but i'm like yeah they can basically do whatever they want and it will somehow work out okay yeah, we were talking about this on a previous episode, how it's just one of mm-hmm. those shows where if you were to try and explain it to somebody else, they'd be like, what are you talking about? Yeah, sure. It shouldn't work. I can attest to that. <laughs> it shouldn't work. It shouldn't be any good at all, but somehow it is. It's interesting how the show came about because we knew some like we did talk to someone from wales or uh, who came from wales originally where the show was filmed and um mm-hmm. he said that it's a possibility that the show just kind of came up out of just what props they had access to and kind of just made do with what resources they had yeah yeah i mean back then it was a really this again is gonna be my absolute doctor who nerddom coming out but um yeah back then it was like a really Really, really low budget show. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it shows. To the point, yeah, to the point where they had to be finished filming at a certain time every day because otherwise the studio would overheat and the fire extinguishers would come on and wreck the sets. No way. Most of the sets, yeah, because most of the sets were made of cardboard and tin foil and things like that. So, like, we have to be finished That's by wild. this time. Otherwise, the whole thing's going to, like, be drowned and like i think i'm correct in saying that the first person to produce first female producer director was british asian the first ever doctor who director for the time was like not done so i kind of love the fact that when it started out they just yeah they basically just had to like grab whatever they could and just try and make stories out of it. And sometimes it shows, but I salute them for trying so hard. I think it's one of those shows that proves how important it is in writing. Um, where if you don't have a good support with the whole plot of the series, then you're not going to be able to support the show in any other way. Like, they didn't, as you said, they didn't have all the best props or whatever, you know, these cardboard and tinfoil. But the writing was so good that they were able to entice fans just with the story alone. Yeah, and I mean, that's something that I kind of think now with, like, CGI and all the amazing things that you can do. I think a little bit of me is worried that we've kind of lost that. That that kind of, um, that a story can be told, like, with the bare minimum of, things well you know you don't need like smashy crashy stuff to like make something great avengers for example to an extent you know i don't think you could ever make a show again with cardboard sets and flammable props and just great writers because i don't think anyone would stand for it anymore (laughs) which you know (laughs) Is good, but I kind of think 
you know, that would be a kind of, as a writer, that would be a really challenging environment to work in. And I, I kind of wish I got to try that once. But. Well, I think there's a place for it on platforms like YouTube. True. Yeah, true enough. It's kind of anything goes there. Yeah, you're right. And of course, I write novels, so my special effects budget is limitless, but it's totally <laughs> out of my hands. Because yeah. it only ever happens inside the reader's heads. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, yeah. I think that all the, those mediums have a place, and I think they're pretty great. I had no idea I had so much to say about Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> but talking about, like, half an like I've always known I love Doctor Who, but now I realise I love Doctor Who <laughs> in a big way. Well, I've been hoping to talk about it on the podcast at least once, but no one's really seen the show, and so this is our ask first chance to talk about it. That's what you do. You ask a Brit about Doctor Who. Most people in Britain will have seen Doctor Who, even if they don't want to. The thing. Like, it's, like, everywhere. You will have seen at least, like, one episode. You have, like, favorite aliens, favorite companions, mm. Doctor's favorite episodes. It's kind of a phenomenon. I'm trying to think about what the American equivalent of that would be. Maybe like the Muppets. <laughs> the Muppets. <laughs> I no. Mean, hey, you guys can have the Muppets. No, 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 no. We don't want to take that one. <laughs> oh, but the Muppets are great. The Muppet Christmas Carol is a classic. Well, I'm just thinking like it probably started pretty low budget, like they're puppets, but yeah. then it it's grown into this like gigantic empire. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I fair like my dad can do an amazing Miss Piggy impersonation, <laughs> and like if you get him on a good enough day, he will do his Miss Piggy for you. And oh my god, endless amounts of amusement! Like every year we watch the Muppet Christmas Carol without fail. I gotta love a bit of the Muppets. This doesn't mean we have to start talking about the Muppets. I don't know anything about the Muppets. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't know lots about the Muppets, but I do know, yeah, that's about the height of my Muppet anecdotes. My dad's amazing, Miss Pete. There's no way he'll come and do it for you guys. <laughs> uh, he'll kill, when he finds out that I've told you, he'll go mental. Mm-mm. He'll be like, that's meant to be a secret. <laughs> but yeah. I think that's one of those words that you guys use more often is mental, as opposed mental. to crazy. Yeah, we we say that a lot. Things are mental. Um, and I don't really think that we should... I mean, I'm really guilty of it, as I've just proved. But I don't really think that we should... Like, every time I say the word mental, sometimes I get a bit uncomfortable. Because I'm like... You know, I have mental health issues. Lots of other people do, so I'm like, do we really have to keep saying mental? But it's, like, ingrained, like... So what would you go say instead of mental? Would you say like just crazy, crazy yeah. or? Well, I think sometimes we're guilty of saying like psycho. Mm, I don't think we use it as loosely though. No, it's more like to describe someone that's, well, what we would call psycho, like a crazy girlfriend or something, but uh, not necessarily like the actual clinical diagnosis of a psychopath. Like you say, it's a thing that sort of everyone does like use it in like casual speech and sometimes I do wonder like is it a bad thing but then I think is it a bad like I know plenty of people who have mental health issues 
that like they call each other crazy and they call each other mental and they're fine with it like they don't mind so i think it comes down to like personal preference really as long as you're not like hurting anyone right something i think about a lot yeah the intent definitely matters yeah but i mean like probably you could ask someone else with mental health problems they'd be like yeah i have a really big problem with it and then you could ask someone else and they'd be like i have no problem with it at all so i think it's like a spectrum Mm -hmm. which i is interesting to me i suppose so if you were to walk up to somebody and say are you bloody mental like how offensive would that be not very offensive not really like bloody is really low-key sweat is it over here like like um like darn yeah like that um so people quite often they'll say things like that's bloody brilliant or you know like my dad says bloody all the time and like when i was really little it bugged me i'd be like daddy don't swear please (laughs) like, bloody's not swearing but technically it is but it's like really watered down but like if you yeah if you said oh you're bloody mental like that's kind of a thing you wouldn't call a stranger mental you like you call your friends that you like say, oh i saw so-and-so the other day it was mental or mm-hmm. like stuff like that but like if you see a stranger and they've upset you you say wanker <laughs> that's like the british thing that you yell at strangers if they annoy you is wanker out the window which it's kind of funny given what that means <laughs> yeah like it's yeah it's bizarre and also a thing that we say a lot over here is knackered mm-hmm. but i don't think you guys say so much no and in the in the south it just means like you're really tired like you say oh i'm good but if you say knackered in the north and I know this because my sister's boyfriend is is from the north. It's like a really bad swear word. Really? And I think once when she went round to the his house, her boyfriend's house, she said she was knackered and everyone was like, But that was like really like bad. Like this is the first time she'd like met his family. I was like I can imagine her just being like, I just need a nap. Like <laughs> Yeah, like and she, like, never swears. Like, she would never even say, like, bloody. Like, she's one of those people, like, it's like a principle with her that she never swears. Hmm. So when she said, oh, I'm knackered, and everyone was like, oh, you can't say that. Filth. Like, you wouldn't <laughs> say that in front of kids. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. And she was like, what did I say? And he's like, yeah, knackered is a really bad word over here. So, yeah. There's not that dichotomy over here like there is there. Like, I don't think there's any words that I would say that if I went, like, like, like even on the other side of the country, that people would be like, whoa, that's, like, an awful word. Don't say that. You know what, though? Yeah. I think it has to do with um, different groups of people. For example, religious groups. I think there are certain words that you could kind of say out in the public, and it wouldn't really be a big deal, but in different settings, it could be. Right. I think that's more what it is here, as opposed to uh, areas. So, like, when I get kind of really angry at something, I say, Jesus Christ. (laughs) And, like, I imagine if I said that 
in like certain places in, in America, I would get <laughs> yeah. in big trouble. Like yeah. I imagine that wouldn't be good, would it? I don't I don't know. Yeah, someone would say something, I'm sure. <laughs> Depending on who you're around. But you could always save it. You could always save it by saying like, Jesus Christ uh, is is my Lord and Savior. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, I'll have to bear that in mind because it's one of those things I say without ever like even thinking about it. Like, I say, oh, Jesus, or oh, God, mm -hmm. or for God's sake. Like, and I don't go to church, so... I don't sort of really think about it, but I think, especially if I went to certain parts of America, I'd have to be, like, careful of the things that I said. Which, I'm trying to think of another thing that over here is really bad. Oh, another thing we say quite a lot is bollocks. <laughs> we use we use that as an expletive, which is fun. It's always kind of satisfying to just say bollocks. Really loudly, <laughs> if you like stub your toe or, or something, it, yeah. it helps yeah. you to feel better. What are our biggest half swears? I'm trying to think. Um, like our version of bloody. Like, I'm tr I'm trying to think of like because they use bloody to like to describe something. We kind of go like freaking right. or freaking. I don't. I don't even think that's a half swear. I think it I is. I wouldn't even go because it's far. like it's like slang for the f word. It's mm. very loosely. Like, I was discouraged from saying it when I was younger. I'd say that's more loose than bloody. Like, super yeah. loose. Still not swearing. I think I've, um... Like, I think I put freaking in a book, and my editor was, like, queried it, and was like, oh, really? you're <laughs> gonna put this, because it's, it's, like, a bad word. Um, and I think <laughs> I kept it in, but, uh, one of <laughs> my... <Screw you. laughs> one of my... One of my favorite ever notes that I got from my editor was that I called someone an asshole A-S-S and um, they were like um, in British English the correct way to write this word is asshole A-R-S-E oh, <laughs> so I was like oh okay so I, I changed it you know because I was yeah. like fine but like that's the best editor's note I've ever got <laughs> so I was just like I wonder if they've ever had to write that as a note before <laughs> I guess I was thinking more, I don't think we have any describing words that are along those lines, but I think we have words that you would call someone that are on those lines, because we have a lot of words for calling somebody names. We have... Like, the one that came to my mind was cuck. Well, <laughs> cuck. That's not as common. <laughs> I've not heard that before. It's not a swear, but it's up there on the offensive... Offensivity meter. Do you want to explain what it is? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess we have to. <laughs> All right, fine. Try our best here. <laughs> I promise I won't judge. I want to hear Zach's definition first, and then I'll follow up if he misses anything. Sure. So there is a, um, I guess, a sexual fetish that involves um, people enjoying watching others interact sexually with their partners and that's called oh cucking. right so is it short for cuckold yes yes yeah right yeah we we sometimes we say that yeah so i i guess it, and it's kind of turned into like so, calling someone that's involved in that a cuck into just a general um insult i guess 
Okay, right, I'm with you. I mean, like, oh, I, I've never been called a cuck or anything. I've never called someone else one. It's not, like, in my vernacular, but... Yeah, I mean, I don't swear lots, um, but um, I definitely I have friends that swear just, like, as filler. If they can't think of anything else to say, they'll just swear. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. Oh, that reminds me of a certain friend. I've talked to recently. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I'm pretty good about turning it on and off. I've developed a filter, so if you listen to other yeah, episodes, I, ha- I might not sound the same. <laughs> yeah, I have. I have a rule that I never swear in front of kids. Yeah, and I'd for never sure. Swear That's in front a very of, good thing. Yeah. And I'd never swear in front of my grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I. Sometimes I try not to swear, but I heard once that if you're in pain and you swear, it can reduce your pain levels by up to 75%. Mm-hmm. That was actually a study that found that. That's great. Like, isn't that <laughs> just great? It's yeah. A built-in painkiller. It reminds me of a time. I was walking, having a fun time <laughs> on the sidewalk outside, and there was this one, one little... Uh, I don't know. One of the sidewalks was uneven, and so it slanted up, and I stubbed my toe right into it as I was walking, completely missed it. And I stubbed my toe. I wa- It took me a second. I did two more steps. I looked back right at the slab that stubbed my toe, and I was like, eh, you fucking asshole. Wow. <laughs> and, it, and it made me feel so much better. To the, to the slab. <laughs> to the slab. <laughs> Amazing. That's great. You gotta love insulting inanimate objects. <laughs> Amazing. I'm gonna start doing that now. <laughs> when I hit things, I'm gonna stop. Because what I do, and I think this is a British thing, is if someone walks into me or something like that, I apologize. That's a very Canadian thing too, yeah. Like, even if somebody, like, like literally ran in front of me i'm like oh sorry and then i immediately feel really bad because i'm like why am i apologizing i haven't even done anything (laughs) yeah yeah you find that in canada a lot and i'm sure in minnesota too yeah over niceness we say it's a british thing how much we apologize but presumably it happens in other places too i don't know it's funny because i've well, this is speaking for my two layovers in, in um, starts the G, I think. Oh, yeah, London Gatwick Airport. And oh, yeah. um, my two layovers there at that specific airport um, is the only experience I can speak of. But um, based on my, my short interactions with the people of London, I tend mm-hmm. to tended to get the cold shoulder a lot of the time. And so I think it's it's kind of like half stigma that British people are super nice and kind of hospitable but it's also the other half stigma where it's like they're not at the same time it's pretty interesting yeah we are like i think we have a kind of a a rule in britain where we do not interact with other humans unless absolutely necessary um by circumstance um like um even like sometimes like um I don't know if this is true, but over your side of the pond, you have a a reputation for being, you're, like, very good with, like, your emotions and stuff. Whereas in England, we kind of have a thing where it's like, 
if anyone starts to like share like how they feel like the thing you're meant to do is like interrupt them and talk about something else instead which is really bad it's like it's really important to like talk about your feelings and like you know explore mental health and stuff is so important but over here we have like this and i mean we're getting slightly better like it's like improving but we have this expression that's like stiff upper lip mm-hmm. and it basically means like don't show your feelings and it's really bad and like really damaging but it's like a weird like culture thing that we have that i hate uh but my you know i know a lot of people are like stiff upper lip and it's like it never works because eventually if you bottle everything up eventually you're going to explode so it never works in the long term but it's just a it's a weird thing that british people do so you guys don't sort of have that problem i don't think or at least you have a reputation for being a bit more open about your feelings than us brits I say that's true. I didn't know that was a reputation we had, though. <laughs> well, to a British person, every other culture is more open about their feelings mm. than Brits. Like, like it's not if we were on the subway, we were going to start telling our <laughs> live story to whoever's sitting next to us. But No, no. But, like, over here, and it's obviously it's all stereotypes, it's all nonsense, but over here, it's kind of like... Like, even, like, partners, like, romantic partners, won't ever speak to each other about their feelings, ever. Hmm. Okay, yeah, that's much different. <laughs> and then they or they just say, like, they say, what's wrong? I'm fine. And then they just sit there and seethe over it. And it, like, hmm. it's terrible and really bad. But, like, again, it's all, like, stereotypes and uh, nonsense. But, yeah. But for a very sensitive person like me, that can be tricky. Mm-hmm. See, I think that's kind of how connections, well, how most guy-to-guy connections are over here, where it's very, like, if if one person's getting a little too emotional, it's like, dude, suck it up, be a man. Oh, that's terrible. I think that's changing, too, though. Certainly in my experience. I mean, male mental health, like, stigma is, like, like, it really, but, like, I've known quite a few people I've been quite close with, and they've been like guys and they've been like really badly affected um Mm. by like mental health issues and things have you know turned out really badly for them and for the people that like love them and it's like i hate that expression like man up or be a man or whatever Mm -hmm. like it really well i mean i don't know if it's different if you are a man like if it bothers you so much but it really bothers me I've definitely experienced like that happen before, but um, I don't think my close friends would ever say that to me. Oh, that's good. <laughs> you have good. You have good friends. I try to pick good ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I don't like that was kind of important to me in my book. Like I have people that I have characters that are girls and I have characters that are guys. And some of them are really bad at expressing their feelings, and some of them are really good at it. But I didn't sort of, I didn't be like, right, I must have all the guys, like, never talk about their feelings, and all the girls <laughs> must always, like, chat about their feelings all the time. Like, I tried to have, like, a nice little mix. <laughs> but I personally am pro talking about your feelings. Like, I think not talking about your feelings 
never ends well because you just like bottle it all up and then it all just explodes and i speak mm-hmm. from experience because i used to do that a lot and it never ended well ever like not one time have i ever been like oh i'm so glad i held on to my negative feelings i didn't share them with anyone never has that happened to me um so yeah but i tried to have like a range like i've got some guys that are way better at sharing their feelings than some of the girls in my book and the other way around and they all kind of complement each other in a way and it all kind of hangs together somehow i think what it comes down to is just expressing your feelings in an appropriate setting because i i definitely know of a couple people who um as much as i hate to say this in words right sometimes they get a little bit too emotional just at the wrong place at the wrong time and because of that people can be very invalidating towards them not that their feelings aren't valid it's just i think certain people um don't wait till it's the right time or the right person to share no but i think a lot of that maybe comes from or at least it certainly does for me like if you bottle things up and bottle things up and bottle things up you don't really get to choose yeah. Eventually, it's just going to explode. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's happened to me before. Like, I've like held things in and held things in and held things in, and then I've just like snapped. And sometimes it's like in a room completely full of people, and it's like such an inappropriate place to have a meltdown. Mm-hmm. But you like get to the point where you like can't sort of hold it in. Mm-hmm. And I think. Uh, like our responsibility as like friends to these people is kind of recognize that they're about to go through, through something pretty hard and kind of, I don't know, maybe take them away or, cause I've definitely been in situations where that's happened and I've just kind of isolated myself with them in private or so, somewhat private situations so they can kind of let it out and calm down. and Yeah. Like emotional health is like so key and like, being there to like try and support like your friends or your family if they're going through emotional things like there's so many different ways that you could support someone in a situation like that but it's Mm -hmm. like really like so important i was thinking of a somewhat specific situation i think i can share and and my my point being behind it was i was going to say that it doesn't really need to necessarily be someone that you know that well sometimes just giving them your attention and just listening is enough for that moment that they're kind of going through hell um i was at a party with my (laughs) fairly new roommate that i didn't know that well um and he got a call in the middle of the party that his brother had just like killed himself yeah and for whatever reason he thought that i was the one to go to in that situation so when he told me i was like okay this needs to happen outside so i took him outside and we kind of talked about it and you can't really do much but just listen and say it's just like i'm sorry and just be there yeah i mean god what a terrible awful thing to happen and you know i'm really really sorry for your roommate that they had to like suffer that because when something like that happens to you it's just yeah absolutely horrific so i you know i really um applaud you for like being there 
Well, it's it's easy to like make yourself sound out like a hero, but like it's not really. I didn't really decide. I just like kind of just doing what, what felt right in the moment. Yeah, but that's really important though. Like doing what feels right, like at the time, it's a really important thing to do. Like not just to be like, look at me, aren't I fabulous? But like it can make even like a tiny little bit of difference. Then it that it's good and it's a a good thing to have done and probably for as long as I'm around I will be like saying to people to like be open about their mental health because I wasn't for ages and it could have ended really badly Mm -hmm. like very easily it could have ended very badly indeed it's really important I feel to like be there for each other and to express how we all feel and everything yeah, it's, it's so important, and, like, talk to people, guys, mm-hmm. especially if you're going through horrible things, especially at a time like this, you know, when we're all yeah. in, like, lockdown. And... Yeah, it's crazy, because I, um, I think a lot of us really lose sight of what's important in life, and I think it's very hard to do that when, uh, in, for sure, I can say the American mindset, um, I don't want, I don't know what the Canadian mindset's like, <laughs> or the, uh, the UK mindset is, but here we're very work, 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 go, go, go Mm -hmm. all the time. And it doesn't Mm. allow a lot of room for, um, just even self-reflection. Yeah. That's a, that's a mindset I definitely recognize from where I come from. Yeah. It's important to take time for yourself and like amongst, like while you're checking in on others, checking on yourself too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's an expression that um, one of my counsellors told me once that I it kind of um, I kind of like live by it, and it it goes, you can't pour from an empty cup, and it means in order to take care of other people also have to take care of yours. Mm-hmm and yourself and like give yourself as much compassion as you would give anyone else mm-hmm. i think is you know it's really important and it's easy to just to invalidate your own feelings because of you know you feel like you're privileged or you feel like you know you're you're not worse off than most people so there's mm. there's no reason you should be feeling the way you are yeah and i mean but that's the thing about mental illnesses and like mental health issues that I think a lot of people still don't get or understand, which mm-hmm. is they they don't discriminate. Not at like, all. Everyone has a brain. Yeah, normally I love things that don't discriminate, but in terms of mental health, I really wish it discriminated against everyone <laughs> and never showed up. Mental illness, I mean, not mental health. But, um, like, it just, it can literally happen to anybody, anytime, mm-hmm. for any reason or no reason at all. And just because, yeah, other people might be going through different, you might think, oh, they're so much worse off than me. But, like, that doesn't mean that you can't uh, get sick and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't get help either, like. Mm-hmm. there's just no telling 
I think an issue is that a lot of the people, when other people open up to them, just don't know what to do. And mm -hmm. I think that's one of the biggest things where it's like, for me, what I do personally, I just kind of listen and nod my head. And I think for most people that works, but I think for, for other people, they need a certain kind of validation and empathy. And so I think a lot of people are scared for their friends or anybody else to open up to them because they're just not ready for that type of, um, that type of thing. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that is a valid concern, but I think the thing that I would kind of say is try, like, even if you're scared, you might do the wrong thing. Like, just like try and like, even if you slightly do do the wrong thing, like, I know, from my perspective at least, like, if I've been having a bad time, like, sometimes I'll be chatting to someone about it, and they'll say a thing that's not quite right, or they won't say something, or, you know, something like that, but the fact that I know that they cared enough to try to help kind of cancels out that kind of slight misstep and obviously I can't speak for anyone else but I just think it's really really important just to try your best to do right by other people and to do right by yourself as well yeah we're a we're a social species and we depend on the connections that we have with other people and it's how we've gotten to this point yeah for sure without that there's there's no telling what would have happened to us no indeed you know, there are other animals in the um, natural world, like elephants. They're, like, amazing at, mm -hmm. like, supporting each other. They're, like, a really big, like, support network. And, like, if one of them's having a bad day, all the other elephants will, like, rally around them and help. And sometimes I think that humans could definitely do with being a bit more elephant. Mm -hmm. Like, just being a bit more, like, kind to each other. There's a big um, opposition to altruism, it seems, lately. Mm. And I think that's something that needs to be reignited. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of people in the world at the moment who are in positions of, of like, power. And compassion is, like, not on their list of priorities mm -hmm. at all. And, um, like, you think that's kind of become a real issue and i think as well i don't know if it's to do with online culture or if it's just politics or whatever but i think nowadays there's not really any nuance to anything mm -hmm. like it's very if you don't agree with me a hundred percent of the time then i cannot be your friend yeah everything's black and white all of a sudden it's not that easy no, when I wrote Inside Out, I tried very hard to like critique that, but it was no, it was not nowhere near as widespread and rampant as it is now. You know, this kind of like you're either with us or you're against us. Mm -hmm. Just in kind of all things, I just feel like there's no kind of middle gray yeah. area anymore. It's like not like so. Like, you know, you get those hashtags that trend, like, so-and-so is over. Yeah, cancel. Like, and, yeah. 
I find those really disturbing, like because every day oh, it's a different boy. person. Yeah, <laughs> it's like all these people are like jumping on that like bandwagon, and I don't know. I just find it really like disturbing. Where it's like, person makes mistake, therefore they don't deserve to be in the world. Like, I guess on that note, I'd like to talk about something that happened regarding that recently. Zach, do you know who Joji is? No, I don't. <laughs> all right, so. Boy, this is gonna this is gonna be a history lesson, guys. Um, back in 2015 or or so, like a couple, a few years ago, there's this really um I guess edgy YouTuber who would make really offensive videos on YouTube, and because of it, he got a lot of traction and attention. And it was as much as I hate to say it, it was kind of similar to like a book in the sense that he just wanted it to be a character separate to him. That being said, um. He got a lot of attention from it, but around 2016, 2017, he discovered that he was really into music. And so he ends up like looking at music and doing some songs in, in kind of more of an ironic sense. And then he said, oh, wait, I'm actually kind of good at this. I should actually pursue this. So in like late 2017, that's what he did. And he just he kind of left this uh, more edgy content for an actual career in music. And he became very successful. Um, I don't know. I can't tell you really exactly how successful, but he did pretty well from what I remember. And he's still going. But recently, somebody on Twitter discovered his old stuff from YouTube. And it started a whole debate on, you know, hashtag is over party. Uh, when really that's what made him popular in the first place and sparked his music career. Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky one because we do think that people ought to be held accountable for their actions, especially if they've hurt someone. But I think there's a massive difference between that biting someone off violently just because they've screwed up. I think it's just a lack of research at the end of the day. Yeah. Because if she had done, I think if she had done her research and made a more structured point, it wouldn't have caught as much attention. But the only reason why it became controversial is because people knew that she didn't do her research. Yeah, I suppose it's that thing, isn't it? Like, um, headlines and stuff like that are, uh, they're the things that people care about. Like, the big, grabby things. And, like, the nuances and the actual details kind of get lost in the, I don't know, the bullet points, I suppose, of, like, this is, like, scandal. I don't know. Like, in the UK, we have these things called the Red Tops, which are these bunch of um, newspapers. Basically, they pride themselves on soaking up controversy and not doing their research. Okay. Millions of people read them, like, every day, and they, like, take what's in them as, like, as facts. Mm. And, like, over and over again, they get told, like, it's not a fact. Like, fake news, I suppose, but sometimes it's not even fake news. Sometimes it's, like, it is a thing, but they kind of twist it or... Misrepresented news. Yeah, misrepresent or exploit it or... And, like, these papers are, like, staples over here. And, like, you see people read them, like, all the... God, like... 
Just the craziness. Yeah. So much craziness. We have some similar publications here, like tabloids and all the celebrity gossip that's... Well, one, I don't know why anyone cares about it. <laughs> and two... No. Uh, a lot of them are just, like, grossly exaggerated. Yeah, and I mean, it's hard... Again, it's hard for me because, you know, sometimes I do think if people do bad things and they hurt people, then they ought to be held accountable for mm-hmm. them. But that doesn't mean that I think their whole life should be torpedoed just because of that. Right. There's a certain point where you can separate the act from the character. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, obviously there are some things like that are actually unforgivable. For sure. Horrible. Yeah. And like... Like not just a mist, um, like a slip in, in their tongue, like real actions that have real world consequences. Yeah, like take someone like uh, again, I don't really want to get sued, but say like someone who was a say a prolific um movie producer <laughs> who had a reputation for strong arming their movies into award shows, for instance, and then you know things that have recently come to light. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that cannot be overlooked, like. But there's a difference between that and well, maybe saying something slightly wrong. Like, yeah, someone should call them out on it. And they should be like, yeah, I said that wrong. I shouldn't have. But that shouldn't mean that the whole rest of their lives is, like, torn apart. Like, that's a weird sort of culture that we seem to have at the moment that I find quite disturbed. I'm just trying to picture myself on the bad end of that stick. and. I don't know exactly what I do even. I know a lot of people that find themselves in those situations, like mainly celebrities, apart from, you know, like the standard apology tweets or videos or whatever, um, depending on what it involves, they'll put themselves into therapy or something like that. And I don't know if like that's a sincere, oh, I want to get better, or if it's kind of just like showing people that, you know, it's, I'm doing this thing because you guys said I did the bad thing, so... <laughs> I think if they actually go to therapy, if like if you sign up to therapy as a publicity stunt, I don't think you're gonna stick it out. Because therapy is hard. Like it's really difficult. Like I've had like therapists, so I know. And like therapy is really hard going. Like you gotta go into all these things and if you really wanna like get better and stuff, you gotta so I kind of think if you go in as a publicity stunt, like, you might be there for one week and then just leg it. But if you actually want to, like, heal, then... Like, but again, uh, um, nameless movie producer, like, it really annoys me when people get caught doing really unforgivable things like that, like really disgusting horrible shouldn't be allowed things and then they go oh i'm getting treatment or whatever yeah like that really annoys me like you can't use that as an excuse for all these like horrific things and it totally like undermines and undervalues all the people who have you know been through terrible things and they want to go to, like, treatment or therapy or counselling or whatever to, like, actually 
improve their lives. Like it really bugs me. It's like a buzzword. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to therapy or I'm going to treatment and it kind of annoys me so much. And when there are those situations when the people that do go into therapy are sincere about it, there's still the people upon their return to society, I guess, that say, oh, you're just you just did that to save your career. Yeah, sure. And that's another thing is people making out these celebrities to not be humans like they're they're people, too, with a little more fame than the average person. But they're still people. Yeah, like I often think because it, it's an odd thing about being a writer that um, almost no one knows who you are. But if you tell someone you're a writer, uh, one of the questions I get a lot is, are you famous? <laughs> so, And I'm not in any way famous. And, um, but quite a lot, you know, I get asked that question and I think, you know, what would it be like if I actually was famous? Like, how would I, like, deal with that? And to be honest, I don't think I'd cope with it very well. Because, like, Mm. I get paranoid about upsetting people enough already. Like, let alone if I had, like, millions of people looking at me. I genuinely don't know how I'd cope. And like, like you say, like people forget that they're human beings as well, and it's just that's really scary to me in a way. So I've dealt with some level of internet fame, um, and here's that story. A few years ago, I got bored, and I went on Instagram, and I made a meme account just to see how big I could grow it into. And it ended up being pretty big. I got like 10,000 followers within the first six months of making it. Um, I was getting like 300 to 700 likes per post. And anytime I'd post a story, it'd actually get attention and people would like interact with it and reply to it and engage with it. And one of the things that I struggled with was like, okay, I kind of made this as an experiment, but now it's an actual thing. But now it's like I actually have a fan base. And it was it was kind of different because something that I had to work through is even like as silly as it might sound is being on a pedestal to other people mm. and and knowing that and my ego like trying to keep my ego down and not skyrocket it. Yeah, that's something I struggled with for a while, but I was able to get there eventually. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that must have been, like, really hard and, like, really difficult. And, like, you say, like, you didn't... Like, some people, right, they set out to get famous. But some people, they're just setting out to have a laugh or, like, make things or whatever, and it just, like, blows up. And it's, like... Like, I'm not in any way famous, but... um when the book came out, I started getting these, um, you know, and it was really lovely. Like people would occasionally send me messages on Twitter or they'd write really nice reviews of my book. And like, that's great. And it's lovely and it's wonderful. But when I came to write the rest of the series, I was like, Oh my God, people like a small number of people, but people nonetheless, are actually waiting for this now. Like, because up till then, it just sort of been in my head. So I kind of had this thing where I was like, oh, people are actually waiting for this now. And I have to 
get like tough with myself and be like, no, write the story that you want to write, mm-hmm. and you know, don't sort of freak out because other people might uh, read it because you know it's great to have a readership and it's lovely and it's wonderful, uh, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm the author of those books and yeah. I hope it sort of never does. You know, I hope my people pleasing complex doesn't get in the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that I think, um, especially like when creators are starting to gain traction, that would definitely be beneficial to keep in mind is that the reason that they started doing X, Y, Z is that it was it was for themselves. It was what they enjoyed doing, and it should stay that way and not be sacrificed for what other people want. That's not to say that if what other people want is parallel to what you want, but when it starts to veer away from what you envisioned, then that's when it starts turning into work rather than enjoyment. Yeah. I mean, I've not really run into that problem yet, but I know that it could, because I know what I'm like, and I know I have a really big people-pleasing complex. Mm -hmm. So I kind of... To kind of keep it in check, or even like my mum will read a bit of my book, like, oh, I really want this to happen now. Mm-hmm. I really don't want this to happen. Yeah, you're on a smaller scale like that, for sure. Like, I feel really bad. Like, I'm like, oh no, I'm gonna just about like she really likes this character, and I'm just about to uh, ruin slash end their life. <laughs> in like the next page <laughs> and like I, I feel really bad about it but i, I stick to my guns uh, but i hope i can always sort of stay that way mm-hmm. guess what i did with the account yeah no, I, I was like do i go on i pressed the big old delete button on the account as sad as it was did it just like like just get too much for you like it was well no it it wasn't a lot to keep up with because it was like just find something that i found relatively funny online and post it and i did that daily so it wasn't like too much but i guess i i i realized where it was getting into me and how it was making me more of a bad person and i didn't want that to be a part of my life even if like i look back and i realize now that the account probably could have made me some money if it had continued to grow but I still think, like, you know, it's... I don't think it's worth what it could have been. Well, I think that's really, like... Really good of you to, like, recognize that it... It wasn't a good influence on you or a good fit for you and to change that. Because I don't think a lot of people would have done that. So I think that's really cool that you would recognize that. I, I just can't imagine if I was... Because that was years ago, so I can't imagine if I tried to keep up with it and if i'd still been doing it now like that would have been it's a weird thought sliding doors that movie where it's like these two people see all the different ways their lives could have gone if they just made like one different decision and it's just like mind bending so i guess in essence you just got to make the right decisions in life and you got to be a decent person overall yeah, I absolutely agree, yeah. Being, you know, conscious and present of your actions is part of that, too. Yeah, and, like, even if you make a wrong decision, but then you learn from it, like, that's okay, too. Like, 
No one can make the right decisions 100% of the time. <laughs> That's all we can do is try our best, really. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We appreciate that. Thanks for having me. This has been so fun. This has been the longest pod I've done for, <laughs> like, quite, quite some stretch. But, no, I love it. I love just chatting around. It's, it's great. You had a lot of insights that I think just like the average everyday people don't have. So that's awesome that you're able to come on and express a lot of your thoughts and opinions. Oh, thank you. I don't know if I have any insights. I just kind of... Sure you do. <laughs> um, I I just kind of like just talk and sometimes what comes out of my mouth is, you know, right? Like I try and think about what I say before I... Say it, but yeah, I hope I could have maybe been at least interesting or some help. Just that would be really great. Like I've really enjoyed listening to your insights from everything from like you know, we've gone from dog, <laughs> Doctor Who, to mental illness and back again, which I think pretty good achievement for two and a half hours. I think so as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, would yeah. you like to uh, plug anything? Uh, maybe books? <laughs> yes, I would love to plug one particular book. I would love to plug my wonderful, amazing, thrilling new novel, which is the dystopian young adult thriller Inside Out, which is available now from Amazon, multiple other online retailers. And it would make me very, 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 very happy to have some of you lovely people join my little reader family absolutely and all that will be linked in the description of the episode you can find us the social gathering on all major podcasting platforms mainly apple podcasts spotify podcasts and google podcasts and and youtube, and YouTube. <laughs> we do have a, a a question that we like to ask our guests at the end of every episode so natalie with me being from the Toronto area and Liam being from Minneapolis area, which one do you think is closer to the equator? Oh, and my geography sucks. <laughs> I haven't taken a geography lesson since I was like 11. So uh, please don't be offended by this if I'm completely off the wall because <laughs> I'm basically just plucking it out of thin air but i'm gonna guess and i'm gonna say that minneapolis is perhaps closer to the equator but i'm most likely wrong about that hmm minneapolis is that how you say someone from minneapolis <laughs> minneapolis minneapolis gross you <laughs> <Ew>, know <laughs> minneapolite i don't know ew <laughs> You are indeed correct. <gasps> oh, yeah, that was the first time I've got a geography question right for a very Zach. long time. That's a, that's a good thing. My... Yes. She's not correct. Yes, she is. Wait, no, she's not. Wait. Oh, <laughs> uh, I almost forget the answer. <laughs> God, I'm nice. trading as cat. Am I right? Am I not? Well, obviously, I don't know the answer, so, Liam. <laughs> Toronto is closer to the equator. 
there we are. See, I told you I'd most likely be wrong. What a roller coaster. Yeah, that that was an emotional roller coaster right there. Oh, for a few <laughs> tiny shining moments, I thought I actually knew stuff, but I'm no. sorry to get your hopes up. <laughs> That's okay. That's fine. Zach, I gotta say, as much as I like you as a friend, you'd be a terrible game show host. You pulled a hard Steve Harvey right there. I'm not gonna disagree. <laughs> oh, God, imagine that. You want a million dollars, psych. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, don't become a game show host. Duly noted. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope that you have a good night or afternoon or evening. And thank you for joining us, Natalie and Cleo. Thank you for having us. It's been great. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>